Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is far more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare to her. That is Proverbs 8, verses 10 and 11. I'm your host, Sandra Flack. Thank you for joining us today for this 13th bonus episode in our series, what every adoptive and foster parent needs to know about trauma and FASD and all of the topics relevant to that uh, with our special guest, Dr. Jared Brown. We are diving deep into important topics for all of us foster, adoptive, and kinship caregivers. So grab a notebook and a pen. You are going to want to take notes. I know I am just diligently scribbling away while Dr. Brown is speaking. So feel free to pause the podcast right now, go grab a notebook, a pen, pencil, and then press play, listen through, or, you know, you could just listen through the whole thing. And then if you realize there were things I want to remember, you can listen a second time, right? That's the beauty of a podcast. You can listen to episodes Um, as many times as you want, really. So, um, But notes will be very, very helpful here. Regular episodes of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey drop into your uh, inbox on Mondays. This series with Dr. Brown, these are bonus episodes that will be dropping on Fridays. So you just go to your, once you've subscribed, so I hope that you all have subscribed. If not, you're going to want to subscribe and follow this podcast because then Um, You won't miss an episode. They'll all show up on your device. And I would sincerely appreciate it if you would take a moment to subscribe, even leave a review. It, It makes a huge impact because when you follow this podcast, when you subscribe, Um, It signals that this is a relevant and important uh, podcast that people want to hear this podcast, and it makes it easier for other people who are searching for podcasts about adoption, about foster care. Um, It makes it easier for them to find us. Um, And we want folks to find us because we believe that this podcast is um, a, a vital resource for the adoption and fostering journey. Also, um, you can reach out to us if you have been encouraged by this podcast, if whether you're a new listener or a faithful listener, um, you know, what do you think about the bonus content? What are topics you would like to talk about? Have us talk about, um, you know, let us know how how this podcast is helping you um, and and what we can do to support you. Um, So you can reach out to me at um, by email at Sandra Flack at justicefororphansny.org, and I will personally email you back. Natalie Vecchione of the FASD Hope Podcast and Sandra Flack of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey Podcast would like to invite you to join their Hope for the FASD Journey, a virtual support community for parents and caregivers raising individuals with an FASD, diagnosed or not. This faith-based community includes an online bi-monthly support group, a monthly VIP conversation, 
and a private Facebook group which includes a video devotional from Natalie and Sandra every Saturday. To register, visit justicefororphansny.org forward slash training forward slash F-A-S-D. Now to our guest, we have back Jared Brown, PhD. Dr. Brown is an assistant professor for Concordia University in St. Paul, Minnesota. Jared has also been employed with Pathways Counseling Center in St. Paul for the past 17 years. Pathways provides programs and services benefiting individuals impacted by mental illness and addictions. Jared is also the founder and CEO of the American Institute for the Advancement of Forensic Studies and the editor-in-chief of Forensic Scholars Today. Jared has completed not one, but four separate master's degree programs and holds graduate certificates in autism spectrum disorder, other health disabilities, and traumatic brain injuries. Jared is also certified as a youth fire setting prevention intervention specialist, an anger resolution therapist, a thinking for a change facilitator, a fetal alcohol spectrum disorders trainer, and an autism specialist, and a mental health integrative medicine provider. This, all of those credentials just means he's the guy we want to talk about, um, about these, uh, talk with about these regular, um, pod, the, these regular episodes, um, the special content, all of these topics relevant to foster and adoptive parents. So my brain is swimming and moving faster than my mouth or vice versa. So, um, pardon me for that little bit of confusion, but I just want to welcome back Dr. Jared Brown. Hey, welcome back, Jared. Hi, Sandra. How you doing? I am doing great. Um, just excited to be back. I know these episodes, um, I can't believe this is our 13th episode together. Um, we've covered so much information and I know the discussions are very popular with our listeners. Um, your, your work, your knowledge base, um, everything that you're providing is just so important for us parents and caregivers. And I know I've been learning so much. I believe that our listeners are. So thank you so much for, for keep coming back. <laughs> Thrilled to hear that. I'm glad it's helping. That's my goal. Yeah, for sure. So last week we talked about information processing and how trauma and FASD impacts how the brain processes information. Today, we're going to look at another, um, I believe it's another executive function of the brain planning and organizing. So um, another topic that we might not even realize is a symptom of trauma or of FASD, but um, we might be challenged by it every day. Just ask a kid maybe with FASD to go clean their room. Uh, so you might start realizing that planning and organizing is a thing that the brain has to be able to do. So Jared, most of us would assume we would know what planning and organizing is, but could you lay it out as it pertains to the brain, the brain function? Yeah, you bet. I was thinking about this too, Sandra. I, I'm going to weave in a little bit on time management problems too, because planning, organization, time management, they all work hand in hand. And they really are executive functions. So if your audience, again, is new to listening to these podcasts, if they haven't heard of the term executive function, boss of the brain, CEO of the brain, it relates to working memory, 
our brain's post-it note inhibition, our parking brake, kind of in our internal pause button, cognitive flexibility. So how adaptable we are, are we just really rigid? Maybe we get stuck and fixated. At the core of executive function too is goal planning. So if somebody you're working with, or if you have a, a, a child or an adult on the spectrum or any other kind of special needs population and they struggle make achieving their goals, if you're not taking into account their executive function capabilities, we're missing components. Other aspects of executive function, you, you probably heard of self-regulation, self-control. But what we're talking about today is really organization, planning, and part of that is prioritizing, being able to initiate when we need to start something. So I think part of that's being a self-starter. Part of planning organization time management, in my opinion, it, it really is important to understand metacognition, which we talked about that in the past too. Metacognition is the ultimate executive function. And think of it as our ability to think about our own thinking and know about our own knowing. So it's really related to self-awareness, self-monitoring, having control over our outcomes, being aware of our limitations and the things that maybe we don't do well at. That's not a weakness. That's a strength. I have plenty of weaknesses. If I can know what they are, I can ask for help. Maybe I'm not the one to do it and ask someone else to help out and do it. Maybe I get some more training on it or coaching. Also, we've talked about abstract thinking, abstract reasoning, core deficits. Everything I'm talking about today, these are core deficits among people with FASD, but they're also core deficits among people that have had extensive trauma as well in utero and early in childhood. Abstract thinking is another topic we really need to be aware of when we're talking about organization, planning, time management. When somebody has abstract reasoning deficits, it can really get in the way of that person's ability to understand connections between things, cause and effect, relate like the differences between like relationships that are concrete, ideas, time management, money management, all of those things are related to abstract thinking and reasoning. When someone has problems in the area of abstraction, they might have lower levels of creativity and insight. It can absolutely, without a doubt, get in the way of foresight and thinking for the future, planning for the future, estimating time effectively. And if someone consistently struggles with conflict management and resolution, everything I've seen, everything I've learned about, if we're not taking into account their abstract thinking and reasoning, their metacognition, their executive functions, we're missing some things. So let's let's focus on organizing right now. So when we think of organizing, planning has to be considered without a doubt. Are we doing it in a manner that we're using time wisely, effectively? Do we have a good concept of time? Do we know how to plan ahead? So are we future orientated or are we always focused on the moment where we then can't get traction for tomorrow or the next day or a month from now or a year from now? 
when we're thinking of organization, time management, planning deficits, those should absolutely be considered red flag indicators for possible executive functioning problems. I've worked with many people that have time management issues. And I'm not talking about someone that forgets an appointment here and there who doesn't do that. I'm talking, this is a consistent pattern where they have these issues over and over and over again. Usually when, at least clients I've worked with, when they have these issues, you can't just say, oh, it's only time management going on. You dig deeper, there's all kinds of other moving parts. And some of those moving parts I just spoke about with executive function, metacognition, all of those things. But if you dig deep in the organizational deficit literature, what does this world say about what could cause someone to have organizational problems? Problems with attention have to be taken into account. So if the, the child or whoever it is has problems with attention, concentration, focus, without a doubt that can get in the way of staying organized because maybe they're only capturing half the instruction or they just lose track of time and their mind wandering and they go into thoughts for a long period of time and they just completely blow off their appointment. Impulse control. If someone has a real hard time, again, putting on the brakes, that inhibition, self-control, self-regulation, impulse control, that can get in the way too. Learning deficits are linked to organizational deficits. So if someone has a learning disability or dyslexia, there's a lot of different learning disabilities out there that can get in the way. Having lack of motivation and effort has also been linked to having more organizational problems. So someone just comes off as being really lazy and apathetic or aloof. And we're going to talk about sluggish cognitive tempo in a few weeks. Keep those thoughts in the back of your mind. We're going to dig into the topic of sluggish cognitive tempo. Really important topic to consider as well. What about if the person has problems with their working memory? So again, their brain's post-it note. And at school, they're sitting in the classroom. No one knows that there's a working memory issue. So the teacher is verbally sharing things, writing things on the board. There's distractions on both sides of the student with other kids. Their, over, their working memory gets overloaded quickly. And for someone with FASD, they already have underlying working memory problems. So if they're asked to do things that are like rooted in multitasking, multi-step instructions, Good luck trying to remember that stuff. A lot of times then the child or the teenager comes home, hasn't written anything down because their brain doesn't allow them to take it in kind of auditorily. And then their information processing is not working. So then they get confused. They get frustrated. They shut down. Parents may get more angry thinking the child is just not taking school seriously when in fact it might be a brain-based problem. And then all of this can absolutely get in the way of staying organized. Some other topics your audience really should be aware of if you want to know a lot about planning, organization, all that good stuff, is something called task analysis. What's that person's ability to break down information or a skill or whatever it is, some sort of task 
into smaller, more manageable chunks. Give you an example, let's say someone's in grad school taking biochemistry. They, they may get overwhelmed thinking of all the things they have to do this term to accomplish this class. Someone with good task analysis is going to know, I'm gonna break it down by week, and I may even break it down by the day. So just as long as I accomplish this one task today, I'm on track to completing what I need to do for the week, for the month, and the rest of the term. We know most people with FASD are probably not gonna have that ability to take a lot of data and then chunk it out into step-by-step -step instructions. That's where the caregiver comes in or the professional to do that for them and then help them. So it's basically helping the person simplify complex tasks and provide like step-by-step step step instructions. That's task analysis. Something called sequencing, you probably wanna be aware of too when we're thinking of planning an organization. So is somebody, do they have a difficult time like breaking down the steps in a, in a more of a, a logical order. So we're breaking it down, which is task analysis, but then sequencing is aligning it. We're organizing the puzzle. We're organizing the recipe. Step one, step two, step three. Does someone jump from step one to step 10, back to step five, back to step seven, and it's all over the map? If they do that, that's a problem with sequencing and sequencing people use this in math to solve math problems some people use it to just accomplish a difficult assignment at work or in the classroom or even at home so really take this into account i think when you're a caregiver task analysis and sequencing if you can understand those topics and really break it down that can help make the person become more planful and organized. I'll stop for a minute, Sandra. Um, thoughts on anything like that? Oh, goodness. So many things swirling through my mind. Um, one being, of course, um, this, everything you're describing, I feel like I, you know, I live that every day with my kids. Um, so definitely uh, children who've experienced significant childhood trauma, uh, children who were prenatally exposed to alcohol, um, high likelihood that um, planning and organizing and all these different executive function um, tasks are um, definitely going to come into play. There's going to be um, deficits and dysfunctions in this area. Um, so that that's, you know, kind of a given, I feel like. And in fact, just some of the things that you were just talking about, I don't know, maybe it's a sequencing thing um, or a prioritizing thing. But for example, I have a 19 year old who just yesterday, um, you know, we had told him earlier in the week that over the weekend, you know, we really want his room cleaned. Now he has gotten to a point to where he does a pretty good job independently cleaning his room once, um, you know, he's, once he's aware that it has to be done. <laughs> um, and so, uh, we told him because he had some plans, some things he wanted to do Sunday afternoon. So when I woke him up for church and he was having a hard time getting awake and getting out of bed, I knew he would be late for church. But I said, look, you got to get to church. We're leaving for church now. 
Uh, and you know, you want to do this thing later today. We need, you know, you need to come home from church and have your, your room needs to be cleaned or you can't go. So we left, he drives, he does drive and he drives himself to like, he doesn't, you know, it's not cool when you're 19 to go anywhere with your parents. So he gets himself, um, he meets us at church. Um, but he came to church about like, maybe there, maybe there was 30 minutes left of church, if that, um, and he sat down next to me and he leaned over and said, I cleaned my room. So, you know, he cleaned his room, but his choice was to clean it before he was already going to be late for church. He cleaned his room before church, which made him even later for church. So, you know, I would have preferred that he got up and got to church more on time and then come home and cleaned his room. But that's not the order that his brain did things in. And I knew, you know, it was, it was a brain thing, right? So I'm not gonna, I didn't like come down on him and give him a big three point lecture as to why that was not a good order to do things in because I, I just knew where it came from. But is that an example of where an individual would have a hard time putting steps in the right order and prioritizing? Yes. And, um, could it be a procrastination thing somewhat too, which is rooted in self-control? Could it be a time estimization thing? In his mind, he thought, oh, there's plenty of time. But sometimes time can really be an abstract concept. So what does 15 minutes really feel like to someone with an FASD brain? If you're as a caregiver says, you have 15 minutes to do this or that. Okay, no problem. Um, an hour later, they're still not even started. Oh, I still have five minutes left. I've got plenty of time when, when the parent comes up and is fr frustrated or agitated. So we'll talk about time today. I think time management, time estimization comes to mind. Procrastination maybe with some self-control. Maybe there's some initiation deficits, just not knowing when to start or how to start. So those are a few things. And performance issues too need to be considered when we're talking about this. So if somebody has performance issues or inconsistent performance where they're on it one day and the next day they seem to be just a totally different person, could that be rooted in some processing problems? So they, they got things mixed up in their mind with the instruction that was said to them because of information processing. And we've talked about that in a, a different episode, so I encourage your audience to listen to that. Maybe the caregiver or the teacher, whoever it was too, did things in a manner that was asking that person to multitask. So they come in and say, you got to do this, 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 and this. And they only got the first step and they get things mixed up. Could it have been a decision-making deficit too? We know decision-making is rooted in a lot of these things. And people with FASD typically have decision-making problems. And in some cases too, do they really struggle with being able to take feedback from other people? Could it be a neurologically based thing? Could it be that they feel a lot of shame? So their brains just shut down. So a lot of things, or there is some evidence in the FASD world that some people that have been exposed to prenatal alcohol may also have deficits in their ability to actually listen. Like the auditory processing, there could be a hearing deficit. We don't even know about that's never been detected where that 
poor listening abilities can oftentimes look like lack of focus or someone has poor eye contact or they're fidgeting a lot or they're just very distracted. Those are all red flag indicators of like ADHD, but they also might be red flag indicators of poor listening abilities. So there's so many things on the surface that can look like one thing and it turns out to be something totally different. I'll give you an example. There's plenty of evidence in the organization literature that poor sleep can amplify this. So if someone is chronically sleep deprived or if they have obstructive sleep apnea that is untreated, that's actually been linked to having more disorganized thinking and poor judgment and just having a hard time planning and executing things. So so many things that we need to take into account. Maybe they have digestive health issues or a food allergy or just something else going on biochemically with them where their meds are off or they're not on a med or they've just been pounding down the sugar-sweetened beverages or they're on overload from caffeine. So, so many things can exacerbate this and make the brain not function the way it should. And if you already have an underlying neurological impairment from FASD or prenatal drug exposure or horrific forms of trauma that already puts the brain at a disadvantage, unfortunately. Yes, I, that, I mean, it's all resonating with me, especially as a parent of two teenagers with uh, both diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome. But um, let's just, can we look at, you know, kind of like a day in the life of um, an individual, say a, a teenager or a school age uh, kid um, who would have these planning and organizing deficits. Um, I always, I always like to talk about cleaning. I always give the example to parents of cleaning a bedroom. Like what does, what are the brain tasks involved in cleaning your bedroom or, um, you know, organizing your, your homework or your assignments for a project, those kinds of things, because you have to have some planning and organizing skills to be able to do these things. And they're just things that we, you know, kind of, you know, we give these orders to our kids all the time, you know, do your homework, go clean your room, that kind of thing, do your chores. But if there, you know, are any of these problems that you were just listing, and especially like we're talking about today, the planning and organizing, it could make a kid look as if they are lazy or defiant or oppositional or any of those things that we often jump to when really it could be the brain thing, right? So it could be the executive function stuff. So would you kind of break it down? Give us, you know, what this might look like in the day of a life of a, a teenager or a school age kid. Really, again, yeah, like you said, executive function, I would start there. And a lot of these things kind of trickle off of that. Memory problems, maybe. Low attention span. Maybe there's a learning disability. Maybe they have really rigid thinking patterns and it's their way or the highway and they, they can come out very stubborn. Maybe they lack the motivation so they're not action orientated or they just don't know again when to start a task because the caregiver or the professional just gave them a lot of steps to complete and they're already overwhelmed now. So their brain's lost. They don't even, they don't know where to start. Maybe they have that forward thinking deficits where 
they're always stuck right in the moment and they have a hard time understanding how their actions may delay other people or may negatively impact other people. So people are always waiting around for this individual and then they become frustrated thinking the person's doing it intentionally when in fact, maybe they're not. Planning, organization are absolutely at the core of these things, the decision-making, all of these things I think need to be taken into account when, when we're thinking of just really any task. And with time understanding too, so we didn't really talk much about time yet, but think about how time management factors into all of this. So what what at the core of being able to manage time effectively, planning, prioritizing, and organization are key to managing our time. And if one of those areas is off, it oftentimes impacts other areas. So a couple of questions I think to always ask yourself when we're thinking about time management skills, how's the person use their free time? That's a good thing just to observe. How do they estimate time? Again, maybe you can practice this. Like, What does a minute, five minutes, an hour a day truly feel like? How do they estimate that time? And then do they have good time awareness capabilities? When we think of some of the symptoms that you want to be on the lookout for, for poor time management, obviously if someone consistently doesn't show up on time and maybe is always rushing where they just take on so much. So it could be an inability to say no, where they, they always want to people please and they always overcommit to everything. Having a lot of stress, just being burnt out and stressed and anxious can cause time management issues. If someone's impatient, that can cause an issue. So I think all of these things I'm pointing out are good intervention strategies to consider too. If they're always multitasking, but they're not good at it and they're very clumsy, they have a tendency to trip and fall or get into accidents and they're, they're just not paying attention, that's a safety concern too. Sometimes could they be hit by a car? Could they be riding a bike trying to text while riding a bike and then they wipe out and hit their head and sustain a concussion on top of the prenatal alcohol exposure? Everything I'm sharing here are examples of cases I've consulted on. None of this stuff is things I came up with on my own. These are things that I've personally heard about, observed. Indecisiveness can be a factor. So sometimes people are just very indecisive. Perfectionism, another factor. Sometimes people just want to be perfect, but they have to keep going back to it. So they waste so much time trying to be perfect and it drains their cognitive resources and now they're out of energy. Having unhealthy lifestyle habits can contribute to this too. Again, the nutrition, the lack of sleep, living a sedentary lifestyle. Those are some things to think about. A couple other things I, I just, I would ask, Anytime I'm working with somebody who has time management problems, think of time concepts. Yesterday, the present, tomorrow, the future, the past. The people really know what that means. Define that because those are all time concepts. 
before and after and during and later and once in a while and long ago and morning and night. These are all time concepts. These are all time language. Time's a fascinating topic that I don't think people take really take the time to learn about this stuff. I was just fascinated when I started digging into this a few years ago about just the time thing because so many things impact time management. What I have seen in several cases I've consulted on, some variables in addition to what I've talked about already that have come up is the developmental immaturity. So we're looking at lower social age, emotional age, cognitive age. So lower levels of intelligence are a factor. So we need to think of IQ. Now for people with FASD, they don't always have a low IQ. They can have a normal IQ or sometimes a higher IQ, but they still have adaptive functioning deficits. And that's basically independent living skills, social responsibility. And if someone can't plan and organize and use time effectively, that is going to get in the way probably of that person holding a job, keeping a job, taking medications as prescribed, cooking and cleaning, prioritizing their time that, okay, I have this much time to take care of personal hygiene. I have this much time to clean my room. I have this much time to talk to friends. I have this much time to play video games, whatever it is. That can get tricky. You and I have talked about screen time use. I see this as a huge time sucker. It just robs people of their time. And now they're zoned out. They're tired. Now they didn't do their homework. Parents are trying to get them to get off the screen and the transition and the stress and the list goes on and on and on. And I can share some interventions too. Other things, if that's helpful, Sandra, or if you had any other kind of thoughts or. Yeah, that was actually, I was going to ask how, you know, what do we do as parents and caregivers? Um, you know, because sometimes I, I know I have one adult, a child now who is an adult. Um, and now I can look back to when they were a child and had, we had no idea. We didn't understand trauma back then. Um, because she was a relative, it was a kinship placement. So we didn't, we didn't have any formal training. We weren't even foster parents, but we said yes to a child who, you know, now we, we came to understand that she had childhood trauma, but we did not really understand what that meant back then. And she's most likely also prenatally exposed to alcohol. Um, so she, she struggled in all of these areas. And I remember, you know, I would, you know, okay, today you're going to go clean your room. You can go clean your room. And then you can go play with your friends after lunch, but you got to get your room clean first. For example, you know, when she was 10, 11, 12, 13, you know, even as a teenager. Um, but then an hour later, I would check on her and she would be in the middle of the, you know, the pile of mess on the floor reading a book that she happened to come across when maybe she was going to clean her room and got distracted by the book. But I remember thinking, you know, she's just being defiant or she's being lazy or, um, you know, it just looks like disobedience, right? I had no idea that, you know, it, this could really be a problem with executive function. So, um, you know, how do we know it, what the, how do we know, can we tell, is it just a kid being lazy and defiant? Um, or how do we know if it's a, if it's executive function? Going into a specialist who does 
um, different kinds of testing on these different domains, a neuropsychologist, a cognitive test, being aware of the red flag indicators, looking at patterns and profiles, talking to the school teachers, talking to the therapists, seeing if you're seeing similar patterns in all of these areas. And just, I think those are a good starting point. Yeah, I, I really think it's, I mean, now I know enough to know we need to all understand trauma and prenatal exposure. Like, so that's, that's one of the reasons why we're doing all these episodes, because parents and caregivers need to understand these things and, and be educated and be informed, um, because then we're better equipped to help our kids and support them and accommodate and not just assume we have a defiant, disobedient kid on our hands. Because um, if you don't know really what's going on, that's something that you can just think. And then we then we discipline, right? We correct. We try to correct behavior. We try to discipline. We try to punish, set consequences. And I did all of those things with this particular child, and none of those things ever worked. Um, never learned from a, a consequence I issued. Never, you know, no disciplines or restrictions or punishments or grounding or any of those things really ever made a difference in 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 the in what was going on and now I can look back and see well of course it didn't because her brain just didn't work that way she couldn't do these things that a neurotypical individual um, can do those things so um, I feel like being educated being informed is, is so important but um, in addition to understanding and, and and learning and being curious about all of these things um, Jared how you know, give us some tips here. What are some things parents and caregivers can do to help our kids who may be struggling with executive functioning things, especially this planning and organizing piece that we're talking about today? I would say start with focusing on one task or duty at a time. So again, just really being mindful of trying not to multitask because multitasking or an FASD brain equals usually added stress, anxiety, and confusion, and sometimes worry. And, you know, for some with extensive trauma histories, that could be a trauma trigger too. So we really need to take that into account. When you're asking that person to do something, I would recommend as well really asking yourself, is what you're asking your child or teenager or adult too complicated for their brain? Is it overly complicated? So again, maybe it's a 16-year-old person with FASD, but do they have a brain of a 12-year-old? Do they function as a 11-year, what, whatever it is? Just be aware, is it over, too complicated? When you're teaching any skill through an executive function lens, you're probably going to be using more coaching and modeling and teaching and role-playing rather than asking a bunch of how and why questions because how and why questions, again, are rooted in abstract reasoning. And for some, if they have abstract reasoning deficits, metacognition awareness problems, asking them like insight-based questions might be quite tricky. Reduce clutter. This has been shown to be helpful. Lots of clutter can overwhelm the working memory and it can contribute to sensory overload. So if someone has a lot of clutter in the background or could be noise clutter, it could be 
multiple people in the room. It, it, it could be clutter that there's lots of things on the desk, lots of bright lights, things like that. Reduce stress and frustration as well. Anything we can do to teach people more stress management and frustration tolerance things, that's been shown to be helpful. Set time limits. So again, we have the time problem maybe. Set a timer. Make a clock digital with actually the, the, the numbers up there. Set, make time visual. Make it concrete. Some people say, and some of this research says, start with the easiest task first. Why do that? Because that might help build momentum. That might build confidence. And the person might not be as overwhelmed at first. And that could help them believe in themselves maybe a little bit more. Utilize daily planners and visual aids and checklists and track and monitor progress. Find out what's working, what's not. Go back to the drawing board if these things aren't working and dig deeper. Are they sleep Is a person sleep deprived? Again, maybe that's not the best time to try to teach an intervention if we're dealing with someone that was up half the night the night before. Journaling might be helpful depending on the person, depending on their writing and reading abilities, but journaling has been shown to improve a lot of things. And not necessarily for an FASD brain, but consider journaling might be helpful. And there's a client, uh, there's a case I consulted on in years past, and this person really struggled with organization, planning, time management, all of those things. This person indicated that what was most helpful is to, again, allow plenty of time to process the information. Don't overwhelm the person with a lot of information. Take the time because information processing deficits are like a bottleneck traffic jam in the brain. Too much information. Now you got a traffic jam in there and everything shuts down. Putting reminders on the phone, if they have a phone, this person said was helpful. When people talked in a very calm and relaxed voice tone, because this person had a lot of trauma in the history and was easily triggered when people got agitated in the voice tone, started talking loud or too fast. Keeping things down to earth, this person said, being kind and patient and using humor effectively as well and just treating Treating her with respect and dignity and not like a child. This was an adult client, by the way, but that was just one case I consulted on and just some things that stuck with me from this person that seems to be helpful for really any human being. Wow. I mean, there's just so many things here um, that I mean, and some of it, the more the more you I find, the more I have learned about um, the impact of alcohol um, you know, my kiddos having an FASD and just getting that training and understanding. Um, these are things that I've been, you know, quite a few of these things that you mentioned, I've been able to really implement. And it's just now how I parent, you know, I always think, I always take into consideration, you know, even though, you know, I have one that's 17 on a lot of levels, he's more like seven or eight, um, so I have to consider is what I'm asking him to do, you know, can he really do it? If I think of him as a seven or eight year old, would I ask a seven or eight year old to do this? 
Um, maybe this is too complicated, or maybe he is going to need a lot of extra time. Um, modeling things, that's definitely something that we've done, um, we've learned to do. Um, and, and reducing the stress. I know, you know, I have to be calm. I have to um, self-regulate myself um, because if I'm not, then, you know, nothing's going to get done. Nothing's going to happen because everything's going to kind of go crazy after that. Um, I've used the visual aids, the, the phone uh, planner for myself, but also encouraging, um, you know, I have a 19 year old who is now starting to set uh, reminders in his phone and use his device as a way to help him um, with things and, um, you know, allowing that extra time to process information. And I've learned to not throw out a bunch of a list of things to do, right? Because again, you know, I think as parents, we could be very good at saying, okay, do your homework, clean your room, take a shower, you know, do your homework. All you know, We'll throw out all of the list of the things that we want them to do. But that's overwhelming. And most likely, none of those things are really going to get done. So, you know, I learned to set the priority for them and just ask, you know, that one thing. And sometimes that one thing requires um, me to come alongside and assist um, or coach them through it, that kind of thing. So, so many things as, as, as parents and caregivers that we need to be able to do um, to help our kids with the planning, with the organizing, with the time management, um, because if they if they're lacking that, they're going to need supports, and it's important for us to support. Um, so, and anything else, Dr. Jared? I know that it's time to wrap up, but if there's anything pressing that you would like to share before we do that, um, now's the time, I guess. I know you always ask. Give me three takeaways. I would say. Yeah. Get an evaluation if you're noticing these patterns. So you know what's working, what's not. Okay. Utilizing executive functioning and metacognition approaches. And don't forget about caregiver self-care. Take care of yourself. If you're more regulated, you're in a much better spot than to model and coach and teach and role play these skills during more heated, stressful times when you might feel a little more irritated but it can really help make the difference. Absolutely. Again, and thank you for simplifying that. You, you you gave such a great list. I didn't want to make you shrink it down right away to three, but you did give us the top three. So I greatly appreciate you, uh, Dr. Brown. Again, thank you for unpacking another important subject for us. Uh, I'm looking forward to our next episode because we are going to talk about um, the impact of sugar on our health, especially on the brains and bodies of individuals prenatally exposed to alcohol. So um, I'm really looking forward to sort of diving deep into that because it's the more you've shared, just a little bit you've shared, <clears throat> it's it's eye-opening to me the effect that this has on us. So I'm looking forward to that. So thank you again. Looking forward to talking to you next time. Likewise. Thank you, Sandra, so much. Thank you. Wow. Another great, great episode with Dr. Jared Brown. I'm so grateful that you were here again listening um, with this special bonus uh, series that we're doing. It is so important for us parents and caregivers to understand all of this, all of these topics that Dr. Brown is breaking down for us and including today's the planning and the organizing. Um, you know, he brought in the time part of this because sometimes when we think planning and organizing, we don't always think time management. 
that's a huge part of this. And that is a huge um, struggle that our kids do have, um, you know, the kind of like the whole package, right? So, um, you know, all of this, all of these brain functions are impeded by childhood trauma, prenatal exposure. Um, so to, to be able to deep dive into some of these things that Dr. Brown is kind of just, you know, taking it chunk by chunk and really explaining these things and, and, and giving us, this is what we should look for. This is what's really going on. This is what happens. And, and just kind of guiding us through what we can be doing as caregivers, I find to be so, so important. So um, if you haven't caught all of them, um, we're, we're going to do a series of about, we're going to do 20 episodes in total with Dr. Brown. This episode was, I believe, number 13. So if you haven't listened to the first 12, you're going to want to go back and listen to all of them and then stay tuned for the next, the rest of them, um, because we're going to cover some great topics and then we'll take a pause on the bonus episodes, but I may bring periodically, we'll bring Dr. Brown back as he has relevant topics to talk about with us. Um, because I know I'm learning so much and I'm assuming that you all are too. I hope you are. Um, you know, so join us next week, um, because we, he's going to talk about sugar and how that, um, adversely affects our brains and bodies. So not just our kids, but our brains and bodies, and especially our kids who've been prenatally exposed, our kids who have trauma histories. And he also clued me in on something I didn't realize. So we're going to look at, we're going to look at the sugar consumption, and then we're going to do an additional episode the following week on just the sugary beverage consumption. And I know um, I have a kiddo with an FASD. Um, I was always careful. I don't buy soda. I don't buy juice, things like that. Um, but, you know, now that he drives and has a job, um, he comes home from everywhere he goes with a cup or can of some kind of sugary beverage. And even though he's, you know, I've taught it over the years, this is the worst thing you could be drinking for your teeth. And now I'm learning it's, you know, the brain um, and just how prenatal exposure to alcohol um, plays a part in all of that. So um, you're going to want to stay tuned for some of these bonus episodes because sometimes it's things we just never would have thought of um, that's really going on under the surface. So um, stay tuned for those. Remember our regular episodes drop on Mondays. Be sure to catch those and our bonus episodes that drop on Fridays. Um, if you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and let your fellow adoptive and fostering friends know so that they can listen, they can be encouraged and equipped also. Um, and don't forget the resources and support to parents and caregivers struggling on this journey that we have um, in addition to the Hope for the FASD Journey virtual support community that you heard about earlier, we also offer an introduction to FASD, which um, now we're actually going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to condense it into a 45 minute session and we're going to offer them for free. Um, we're going to call them a lunch and learn, um, or a coffee break or a something. So we are going to start in the beginning of the new year. We're going to start offering a free, um, just, it's a 45 minute session that kind of, you can get the basics. We'll go deep and specific on the symptoms of FASD, the primary, secondary, tertiary, um, kind of like how this affects the brain and then some um, 
you know, I hesitate to call them strategies because it's not like if you do A and B, you're going to get C because every one of our kids with an FASD is different. But there are some um, some guidelines kind of, you know, that you can focus on and it gets you thinking about things that you could try at home um, specific to, to your child. So you have to kind of bring your, um, you know, creativity and your willingness to learn to the table, but um, you'll feel supported you'll feel that you you walk away feeling like you better understand and you have some ideas of, of some things to try that you might not have realized before. And then if you're really interested in taking a deep dive, we're going to be offering our facets um, workshops as well. Um, and we're going to be getting some of those on the calendar throughout the new year as well. So stay tuned for all of that because we are really here to support you. We want to um, make sure that you're not just on this journey and struggling along, but that you have community and that you have tools and you have help and support um, to be able to stay the course. So to learn about any of our trainings, any of our upcoming events, you can go to justicefororphansny.org um, and you can also reach out to me through our website. Um, and if you want to learn more about my family, our adoption story, you can check out my book, Orphans No More, A Journey Back to the Father. Um, it won a, an award for memoir of the year recently. Um, so I'm super excited about that. You can grab it wherever you normally would buy your books. Um, if you would like a signed copy, you can visit my personal website, sandraflack.com. And you can order a signed copy with a free gift bookmark and I'll mail you a book that way. Um, you can also check out my blog. I've been really working hard to blog regularly there now. Um, and Dr. Brown is going to do some guest blogging spots on there for me. Um, so lots of great content for parents and caregivers. Um, and you can also learn more about me and contact me for speaking opportunities, whether you want me to come and speak at your event um, or if you want me to come and do a training or a workshop, you can learn all about that there. Um, and I'd like to thank our sponsors um, who they're not specifically sponsors of this podcast, but they are sponsors of JFO and the work that we do and help us to do all the things that we do. So I always like to thank Tri-Nuclear Corporation, Bishop Boundary Construction, National Bank of Kuksaki, Coleman Insurance Agency. These businesses care about children and families in crisis and help us do what we do. Be sure to find and follow Justice for Orphans on both Facebook and Instagram. You can find me, Sandra Flack, in both places as well. And I am grateful that you spent your valuable time with me today. I'm thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast, brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.